chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal. Then ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of old? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And God gives his answer. He has shewed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. And that finishes that passage of scripture. God bless you for standing. I appreciate you. And I appreciate the word of God. Uh, back to the first uh, couple of verses of this passage of scripture. He says, hear you now what the Lord saith. As I said uh, in, uh, in introducing this in chapter 4, we see a promise uh, nation uh, that Israel is going to be uh, be brought into the, uh, the standard of a great nation or into the status of a great nation. In chapter 5, we see the leader in Jesus Christ, the, the promised Messiah that's been promised ever since Genesis chapter 3 that would come into the world. He was going to lead this great nation of Israel. But uh, uh, we see these things. And now in uh, chapter 6, God has the prophet tell the people, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people. He will plead with Israel. He tells his man here, he tells the prophet Micah uh, to, to make this pronouncement unto the hills, make this pronouncement unto the mountains, unto the rocks under the trees. Folks, God had been pleading with Israel for hundreds of years at this point. Israel, from the time that God had delivered them out of Egypt, from the time that he had delivered them from the shackles of the bondage that they were in, they were slowly going away from God. They would go away from God. They would come back to God. They would go away from God. And they would come back to God. You read in the book of Judges, it was a vicious cycle that these people were in, they would come to God, they would worship God, they would bring the offerings, they would do what God told them to do, and slowly they would go off into idolatry, slowly they would go off into the things that God warned them against, and then they would find themselves underneath the bondage of another nation, underneath the bondage of other kings, and they would go crying unto God, and God would bring them out once again, it happens over and over and over in the history of the Israelites, in the history of the Jewish nation, folks, the church isn't in a whole lot better shape right now than the Israelites were in the Old Testament. Both churches you go to, they will not preach you the true gospel of Jesus. 
Jesus Christ, they will not preach you the true word of God. They will preach you. You just come here. You just put your money in the plate. You just say a little prayer once in a while. And you and God will be fine. Folks, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God saves those that are of a contrite heart, that are of a broken heart, and a contrite spirit. The Bible says that you and I are filthy, rotten, no good sinners that deserve hell. But God has made a way through Jesus Christ that we can be redeemed from the condemnation that is upon us. Hallelujah. He didn't tell me the day he saved me. I don't know what kind of conversation God had with you when he saved you. But God showed me what I was. He showed me where I was. He showed me what kind of shape I was in. He showed me I was on my way to hell. Hey, folks, I was raised in church. I was raised under true preaching. I was raised under all these things. But I didn't pay any attention to it. I didn't pay take any heed to it. When I was younger, hey, I didn't get saved till I was 33 years old. But I give God 33 years to get his case prepared to present to me. He gave him three decades worth of sin and of filth that I was involved in to show me and say, I can set you free. Hallelujah. Yes. That's the God that I serve. We got a lot of preachers now. So I so called preachers. I preach a sissified God. We got a lot of preachers that preach God loves you no matter what. I thank God that the Bible says in first John, God is love. I praise God for that. But we seem to lose lose sight of the fact in the, that in the Bible it also describes God as a consuming fire. It also describes God as one who takes vengeance. And he is the only one that takes vengeance, folks. My God is not a sissy. My God is the very one that spoke this universe into existence. My God is the one that came down, suffered, bled, and died on a cross that I could not afford. My God is not a pansy. My God is the Savior of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The Bible says here, hear your mouths. God has been contending with Israel and pleading with Israel. So, if the Israelites will hear the very apple of God's apples, you, the church of the living God, you are not the apple of God's eye. The Bible describes Israel as that. Israel, the Jewish nation, is the apple of God's eye. He had been pleading with the apple of his eye. Come back to me. Come back to me. What does he say in Isaiah chapter 1? We hear it quoted all the time. Come now. Come now, saith the Lord. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That was his plea unto Israel. As I said, he wasn't pleading to the heathen. He wasn't pleading to the pagan or the unbelievers. He was pleading to his own people. That's something we lose sight on in the book of Revelation. We get through the seven churches. We get to the book of uh, the church of Laodicea. We say, well, it's a picture of Jesus knocking on the heart's door. <laughs> no, it's not. What does it say? Well, it talks about Jesus 
standing there knocking. He's knocking on the door of the church. It's a church. It's the church at Laodicea. It's professing believers in Jesus Christ. He's knocking on the door saying, let me in. If any man will open up unto me, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Hallelujah. Hey, it was a message to the entire church, but it boiled down to an individual. If any man, any one man opens unto me, I will come in unto him. Hallelujah. Now listen, in the Bible, let me get back to Micah, I promise. In the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, up until the book of Ezekiel, you see Israel dealt with as a nation. That's not to say individuals weren't dealt with sometimes, but Israel was dealt with as a whole. Up until the book of Ezekiel. You get to Ezekiel. You read Ezekiel 18. God says every man's going to be responsible for his own transgressions. Every man's going to be responsible for his own sin because that was the attitude that these Jews had. That was the attitude that the Hebrew people had. Was, well, I may sin. I may do this or I may do that. But it'll come down on the whole nation, not just on me. God says, uh-uh. He says, your sin will be your sin and their sin will be their sin. Hey, folks, your sin may be different than mine and mine may be different from yours. But either way, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. The Bible says in Galatians 3 that the scripture has concluded all under sin. We are all guilty before God. And the only one that can do anything about that is God himself. The only one that can do anything about that is God through Jesus Christ. Through his shed blood. These people here in Micah's day, they didn't have Jesus. This was 700 years before Jesus was ever born. 700 years before he ever was placed in that manger. But he was promised. As I've already said in Genesis chapter 3, there was a seed that was promised to bruise the head of the serpent. That was Messiah that was promised. He'd been promised since the beginning of this thing, folks. He'd been promised since the very beginning. And these people here, they had they had the prophecy of the of the of the cross of the Messiah. Isaiah gave the prophecy of the cross of the Messiah. You read about it in Zechariah. You read about it all throughout the Psalms. You read about this promise of Messiah, folks. That's why when Jesus finally, when he came of age, the Bible says he began to be about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Folks, when that happened, those Jews, they should have seen the signs. They should have seen the wonders. They should have seen the miracles. And they should have seen that this was indeed Messiah. Too many of them didn't want to see it. Israel was blind by their own choice. They were blind by choice, but that's a whole other sermon. Here you on mountains, the Lord's controversy. And he strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has controversy with his people. And he will plead with Israel. He will plead with Israel. But he tells the prophet, prophesy unto the mountains. Tell the mountains, tell the rocks, tell nature. And nature can be a testimony against these Israelites that they have been warned. Folks, when we go out, we present the gospel. 
We're sitting around the table at our house. We go out to a street corner on the sidewalk. I know Brother Vern does some street preaching and preaches on the campuses. And I admire that and I commend him for that. And brother, I pray for you Well, on those matters. I pray that souls get saved through that ministry. But folks, when we present the gospel, it testifies against the sinner. It testifies against the life that they live. It testifies against the thoughts that they have. That's why this book, hey folks, this book doesn't condemn me any less now than it did when I was lost. This book still condemns me. It still condemns you. But folks, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an intercessor between, but we have an intercessor named Jesus Christ between us and God the Father. Hallelujah. God the Father is the one that's angry with mankind. Jesus Christ came to give his life a ransom for many. He came that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God for that. But if God, for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you and I would still be under the condemnation of Almighty God. That's right. A lot of people, what have I done unto thee? This is God pleading to who? To his people. Oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. He invites them. Testify against me. What have I done to you? Oh, he had done nothing but good to the Israelites. He had done nothing but bring them up out of the bondage. And he gets into a list of just a few of the things that he done for them here in the next couple of verses. He had never done anything but good for these Jews. And what did they do? They turned their back on him. We as the church, hey, we're in the same boat as these Jews were. God will work in our lives. God will heal our sick. God will save our lost. And we still forget what God has done. And the next time bad times arrive in our life, God, where are you? Where are you now, Lord? We forget about the times that he healed us. We forget about the prayers that he answered. We forget about the times that our cupboards were absolutely full and the freezer was full where we couldn't put another piece of meat. And that we forget about the times that God has blessed us. Folks, you have no right whatsoever to ask God why you're in the bad circumstance that you're in if you're not also willing to ask God why he has blessed you the way that he has. Because he's not obligated to do it. He is not obligated to do those things. God blessed me. We say it all the time. We've heard it dozens, hundreds of times. Bless me more than I deserve. Folks, if he never done another thing for me other than save my soul, that's more than I deserve. Yes. That is more than I deserve. I know what I was. I know who I was. I know the places I've been. I know the thoughts that I had. I know the people I've been with. I know all of these things. I know the deep down dark black secrets that I was taking my grave today. I know all these things. And God still came to where I was one day. And he said this is what I had to offer. The blood of the crown jewel of heaven. This is what can redeem you. This is all I have. And it came to me to offer that. I preached a while back about John chapter 5. In Christ, going to the pool of Bethesda. And he passed by all those in the temple. All those that were blind. All those that were halt. All those that were maimed. All those that were gathered there by that pool. He passed by all those people to get to that one man. Yeah. 
I don't know what kind of relationship those other folks have with God. I don't. But I know that morning that Jesus Christ saved my soul, he passed by a lot of people to get to me. He knew the shape that I was in. He knew. He knew he had been working on me. He had been dealing with me. He had been tearing up my heart. He'd been messing with my sleep, messing with my appetite. He knew the proper time to come and redeem his chosen. Praise God. And that's precisely what he done that morning. He redeemed me, and I ain't been the same since. Hallelujah. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He said, not only did I redeem you out of the house of bondage, out of the house of the servants, as the scripture said, but I give you leaders. I give you Moses to lead you through the wilderness. I give you Aaron to be your high priest, to be your mediator for uh, to, to me, from you. I give him, hey, in thought, when Aaron went into the Holy of Holies, he was taking the entire nation of Israel in there with him. In thought, he was doing that in heart. He was doing that was his job as high priest on the Day of Atonement when he came into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the proper sacrifice. He was coming in there on behalf of himself and the entire nation of Israel. But now, the Bible says, neither by the blood of wolves and goats, but Jesus Christ entered into the holy place one time, one time yeah. to obtain the redemption of many. Amen. One yeah. time he done that. Aaron, hey, his office is finished. The, the Levites, their office is finished. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Jesus Christ, according to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, he is the high priest for all of mankind, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile. The Bible says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, then to the Greek. If a Jew gets to God, it'll be by the same way that I did. It'll be no difference. He brought them up out of Egypt. He gave them leaders. He gave them Moses. He gave them Mary. He gave them Mary. Miriam inspired them to worship. Miriam dancing with her timbrels. Y'all say what you want to about dancing in church. Now, I ain't for somebody getting up in church half naked whether they're dancing or not. But, but, Miriam worshiped God with dance. Miriam worshiped God by the shaking of the timbrel, which would be what we call nowadays a tambourine. She shook the timbrel. She danced. She inspired the people. She was what we call nowadays a worship leader. And she inspired the Israelites to dance. When God got them through the Red Sea, Miriam's the one that inspired them to worship God for his deliverance. Miriam's the very one that does that. So he gave them a leader. He gave them a high priest. And he gave them someone to inspire them to worship. Oh, my people remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shem unto Gilgal, that he may know the righteousness of the Lord. <coughs> my people remember now what Balaam, the son, uh, what Balaam, 
the king of Balaam, the king of Moab. Y'all remember that story? Y'all remember that account in the scriptures? The Israelites were going through Moab. They were kept out on the plains there in Moab. And Balak called for Balaam. Balaam being a prophet. Not a prophet of God. This man was a false prophet. He was an evil man. He had evil up his sleeve and he was a preacher for hire. That's exactly what the man Balaam was. Balaam called for him, asking him to pronounce a curse on those Israelites because Balak, the king of Moab, had seen God's protection for them. He had seen how God had brought them through the wilderness. He had seen that God had fed them manna. He had provided them water. He he provided them the quail. He had seen the miracles of God. And he called on Balaam to curse these folks. What did Balaam answer? I don't think that, it's, that he didn't want to do it. He couldn't do it. My God is all powerful. Amen. I don't know what kind of God you worship. My God is all powerful. He controls the tongues of men at his disposal. Whenever he wants to. He can control the mind of men at his disposal. Hey folks, if he can make an ass talk in the scripture, I promise he can control your tongue anytime that he wants to. But he calls, Balaam, calls on Balaam to pronounce a curse. Balaam says, How can I curse those that have not been cursed? In other words, God has not cursed them. Balaam, Balaam may have been a false prophet. Balaam may have been an evil man. But Balaam had an idea of Jehovah God. He had an idea of who he was dealing with. He said, how can I curse those them that have not been cursed? And instead he blessed them. God turned the curse, the potential curse, that was to be laid on the children of Israel into a blessing. And from Shem under Gilgal, Shem being the last encampment before they crossed the river into the promised land. Gilgal being the first place they laid their heads once they put passed into the promised land. From there across the Jordan River, hey, the Red Sea wasn't the only time in Scripture that God ever parted the waters. He parted the Jordan so that the Israelites could get across there. Not only did he part, did he part the waters, but he parted it during the heaviest part of the flood season for them. That's why when they got to Jericho, that's so why when they got to Jericho, Rahab, she believed. Other people are like, how can this be? How can this be? The waters are flooded up. How could they possibly cross at this time of year? Rahab was the only one that believed and because she believed, her and her household would say, I ain't going to preach that message. But, folks, God tells the people, remember, remember what Balak, the king of Moab, what he wanted to do to you through Balaam. The Israelites, listen, that was hundreds of years before these Israelites were being written to and being spoken to and preached to right now. Hundreds of years before that. But they would have heard it from their forefathers. They would have read it in the scriptures. They would, have, they would have known the account that God was referring to here. Those Israelites that were down there in the valley in the plains of Moab, they had no idea that Balak and Balaam were up there on that mountaintop. They had no idea that two men that purposed evil and their lives and evil on their people, evil on their entire nation, they had no idea that they were being looked upon from the mountaintop. But God here is reminding them that even when you don't know I'm on the scene, I am there. I'm I know what is in the darkness. I know what you're dealing with. I've been through what you are doing right now. Yeah. I've experienced every bit of pain you can feel, including abandonment. Yeah. That's another, uh, another message. We won't get into that. God knows. 
God knows what you deal with. He knows your physical pain. He knows your mental pain. Don't tell me Jesus didn't suffer mental pain. The man sweat as it became great drops of blood on the ground as he was going to God. As he was saying, God, if there's another way around this while he was there in the garden at Gethsemane, God, if there's any other way, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He knew exactly what mental anguish felt like. He knows what all these things feel like. He knows our pain. He knows our weaknesses. He knows it all, folks. He condescended from heaven. He condescended from the throne. To do what? To fulfill the Old Testament. God wished to tabernacle with his people. God wished to do that. You read about that in John chapter 1 of the New Testament. (coughs) And you read about it all throughout the Old Testament. God wanted to tabernacle. He wanted to live with, live amongst, live in the midst of his people. And my goodness, when Jesus Christ ascended and the Holy Ghost came, and now when every born-again believer believes on the name of Jesus Christ and they receive the Holy Ghost, God is truly tabernacling among his people. He is truly tabernacling amongst you, brothers and sisters. He is truly tabernacling with me. He is living within me and you. That's living with his people. Wherewith shall come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? And these are the people in response to what God has said. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rains or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. These people knew better than that. They knew better than that. Now listen, the law stipulated. The law stipulated you are to bring offering. And that law was given by Almighty God. It did stipulate that. And it said that with certain meat offerings, you're to bring an oil offering. That's where they're getting these ideas from. But my goodness, where did they get the idea? Should I give my firstborn the fruit the fruit of me, the fruit of my flesh, my, my own flesh and blood shall I give them for the transgression, for the iniquity, for the sin of my soul. This shows how deep, how deep in, in the evil that God's people had gotten. This shows how the intermarrying of God's people within the pagan the pagan nations that were all around them. Folks, that's why God told them not to marry into the pagan nations. It had nothing to do with the color of their skin. It had nothing to do with their ethnicity. It had to do with they were idolaters. They were pagans. They were heathens. And he knew that they would introduce those beliefs and those sacrifices and that system into the system he had prescribed for his own people. As I said at the beginning, folks, there's a lot of churches introducing false doctrine right now. And they have been for years. It ain't a new thing. It is not a new thing for that to happen. They introduced the doctrine. As I said before, you just, you do a few little things and God will be fine with you. You do this and do that. You sing, maybe. You teach Sunday school. You open your Bible once a week. You do a daily devotional. God will be pleased with that. 
Let me tell you something. God is pleased with nothing less than his son. He is pleased with nothing less than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you come before God without the righteousness of Christ, you come before God, I don't care how many coats, how many pairs of, of pants, how many dresses or anything else you've got on, you will come naked before Almighty God if you don't come in the form and the fashion and the cloak of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. Praise God. Amen. He has made a way for us to do that. He has made a way through His shed blood. Help us, Lord. How can I come before the Lord? They knew how to come before the Lord. Should I bring sacrifices? One of these people listening here, they're listening things that will cost them a lot of money. Thousands of burnt offerings. Tens of thousands of rivers of oil. Folks, that's not, that's not even comprehensible to us. It wasn't comprehensible to them. It's about like Peter saying, Lord, should I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus said, I'll tell you now, seven times seventy. That, was, that wasn't even comprehensible to Peter. I'm saying he couldn't do simple multiplication. I'm saying Peter thought he was doing a good thing by saying seven times. And the Lord says, you just keep on forgiving. You keep on forgiving. You keep right on doing it. If he comes to you, hey, if he comes to you, if your brother uh, does something against you, you rebuke him. But if your brother comes to you and repents, you are to forgive him. Amen. If we don't forgive, I would question whether the love of God is even inside of us. Right. <coughs> How can I come before the Lord? Where shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before the high God shall I come before him. Burnt offerings and calves of your own. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of ravens with ten thousand rivers of old? Shall I get my firstborn for my transgression? As I said, we're talking about in the first couple of things in this there. We're talking about things that would cost them a lot of money. Things that would, that would cost them monetarily. Substance. Then they're talking about things that are dear to them. Shall I get my firstborn for the sin of my soul? And God says that wouldn't even be good enough. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere does God prescribe human sacrifice. Nowhere. Now I understand in the Old Testament, I understand that God says that everyone that opens the matrix and every firstborn male is God's. I understand that. But what happened after that? What happened after they were given to God? There was some restitution to be made because God didn't want their life physically. He didn't want their blood. Their blood would have done you and me no good. Their blood would have done God no good. It would have done him absolutely no good. I understand those scriptures. The only blood that is worth a dime as far as salvation goes, and it's worth far more than a dime, praise God, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ that He shed for us. The blood uh, of these firstborn. The blood of, of the, as the scripture says here, the fruit of my body would have done no good. Never, never, not only that, but this shows how intermarrying with those tribes had infected the people of God, even though he's done giving them a perfect prescription, a perfect prescription as to how they were to act, how they were to worship, what offerings to bring, when to bring them, and all of these other things. They were bringing in outside religion into the scene. 
They were bringing it into the worship of God. And churches now are doing that very thing. They're letting so much of the world in. Now you can't tell the world from the church in a lot of places that you go. You can't tell the difference between the two of them. Hey, folks, if you belong to God, if you're a born-again child of God, you ought to act like it. You ought to talk like it. You ought to, you ought to dress like it. You ought to do all these things. Ladies, I ain't saying you got to wear a dress everywhere you go. I ain't saying you got to have your hair down to your knees. I ain't saying that you can't wear makeup. I'm not saying any of those things. But I will say that if you go out as a whore, you'll come home as a whore man. If you go out as a whore monger, you will come back as a whore monger. You, the children of God, don't act in such manners. If they do, they are not truly born again. Will the Lord be pleased with those the rules? Where is that? He has shoot thee, old man. What is good? And what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Three little requirements. I've quoted this verse. I don't know how many times in my ministry. This very verse, I can still say, He has shoot thee, old man. Folks, God has thrown it in the high gear with this statement. It may seem like three small statements, but he doesn't say, he has shewed thee, oh my people. He doesn't say, oh Israel. He doesn't say, oh Jews. He doesn't say, oh sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, he has shewed thee, oh man. He has shewed every one of us, you and Gentile alike, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee. But to do justly, do we do justly in our lives? God loves justice. As I said at the beginning of this thing, God is a just God. And justice to God, folks, if, if I got the justice of God, what I deserve, I would be in hell right now. And you would too. Every one of us. Every one of us that has a conscience of what is right and what is wrong. Every one of us would be in hell if we truly got what we deserve. If we truly got the justice of God, sometimes we'll show them mercy too. But we need to do justly in our lives. If something's wrong, call it wrong. If something's right, call it right. That's doing justly. That is justice. Hey, God, God, God pulls out no stops when he calls out sin in the Bible. You should pull out no stops calling out sin in your own home. You should call out no, you should pull out no stops. And calling out sin within the, within the walls of the church. I don't care whose daughter it is. I don't care whose grandson or granddaughter it is. Or whose nephew or niece. If they're sitting in the house of God. They need to be stopped. They need to be warned. They need to be told what they're doing. So that they can repent unto God. Amen. Forget repenting unto you. They need to repent to God. Amen. For that. I don't care who they are. Whether it's me. Whether it's you. Whether it's one of my, one of my grown children. For my grandson, I don't care. If there's sin going on, it needs to be called out. You should do what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. But to do justice and to love mercy. First, the word love is used. Remember to love something. Love being used as a verb, mercy being used as the noun. We're to love mercy. But folks, we're to love regardless. We're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're to love one another. Yes, we should love the brother. My goodness, if you read, if you read up on your church history, uh, the Apostle John, that was his last few years of preaching. That's all he would preach. 
is that God is love, and brethren, brethren love you one another. That's all a man do to say. But let's sum up the gospel in a whole. What did, what did Jesus say when they asked him what the greatest commandments were? He said, he said to love God and to love your neighbor. Nothing to do with yourself. Hey, if I love God and I love my neighbor, love for myself is going to come naturally. I don't need to let that come to a point where it becomes a prideful thing in my life. But if I love God and I love my neighbor, then love for self is going to come naturally. You read the Ten Commandments sometimes. That first table was all about how we were to treat God. It was all about how we were to treat God. That second table. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not do this and do that. That second table was all about how we treat one another. It's all about how we treat our neighbors. The first one, thou shalt not put no God before me. Thou shalt not uh, make a graven image. That was all about how we treat God. Folks, you are not in that. It is how we treat God and how we treat our neighbors. If we love mercy, we will be merciful to those people. I'm saying you've got to accept their ways. A lot of people have, have misconstrued what, what love means and, and, and what we, how we should act if we love someone. Love does not mean that I'm accepting of sin. It doesn't mean that I'm accepting of a lifestyle. It doesn't mean that I'm accepting of anything outside of Almighty God and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm accepting of. I'm accepting that His Word and His Word tells me that I I should love mercy. I should love showing mercy. Hey, God loves mercy. He loves to show mercy. He showed it to the Israelites over and over. He showed it to me countless times. And he showed it to you more times than you can count. He loves mercy. And he loves to show mercy. And the greatest show of mercy ever was in a man hanging on a tree on the cross of Calvary. That was the greatest show of mercy. People say, my goodness, that wasn't merciful at all. I understand what the Bible says. He was bruised for our iniquity. I understand it says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And I understand it says with his stripes we are healed. Hey, folks, the Bible says that it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased him to bruise his only begotten son. Why was that? Because in that bruising, in those stripes, and in that blood, he was making a way for you and I and all of mankind. was a great show of love, and that was a great show of mercy. People say, I couldn't do it to my son. It wouldn't have done me any good even if you could. It wouldn't have done me any good even if I could do that to one of my own boys. That's what I was talking about earlier. Jesus Christ was abandoned there on that cross. He was abandoned. He had to suffer by himself. He had to bleed by himself. He had to do it all by himself. What does the Lord, what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, humbly with thy God, not in pride. We need to do justly in our lives. As I said, if something's right, call it right. If it's wrong, call it wrong. That's justice. We need to love mercy regardless of who it is. Folks, if you're in the same boat as I am. <coughs> Sometimes you hear the same sad sob stories over and over and over. And it's hard to be merciful when they've gotten themselves into those messes. It is. Hey, I ain't no bigger than you. And I have the same thoughts that you do. 
But nevertheless, God doesn't say except in this matter or except in that matter. God says love mercy. But he also says walk humbly with thy God. That's the three requirements that God has. And listen, folks, unless you're born again, you can't fulfill those requirements. You cannot do it. I'm not saying this is a prescription unto salvation. This is something you practice after you're saved. This is something you practice because you're saved. These people had no idea what salvation through Jesus Christ was. They knew what salvation was. God had brought it back to their remembrance what salvation was. Salvation was God bringing the Jews up out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and through the wilderness and into the promised land. That was salvation. They knew what salvation was, but they had no idea what redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ was. You and I do. You and I have the entirety of Scripture. You've got it in your lap. I've got it on this pulpit. We've got hundreds and thousands of copies floating around in our homes and in hotels and everywhere else. Everybody has access to know what mercy is and what justice is and what to walk humbly with God is but it is impossible to do unless you are a child of God. And you might say, I know some lost people that are pretty fine folk. They can't walk humbly with God. Yeah. It's impossible. They can't walk with God at all. Can they do justly? Of course they can do justly. Can they love mercy? Sure they can. But they cannot walk with God. They cannot do it. Before I was saved, I didn't even believe in God. 33 years of my life I spent as an atheist. Not believe. The more I went to church as a young man and as a teenager, the less I believed. The less I believed the Bible. But when I was 33 years old, God got a hold of me. Folks, in that time, though, there were certain things that I despised. Even as an atheist, I despised abortion. I hated abortion. I knew it was murder. Even as an atheist, I didn't need a Bible to tell me that. Folks, that's a, that's a simple equation of right and wrong that's in everybody's mind. That's something that we, uh, we should all have within our heads. But those that believe otherwise, they are blinded by the God of this world. They are blinded by the principalities and by the wickedness. They are blinded by all of these things that we read about. Paul writing to the churches in the New Testament, folks. They are blind because they want to be blind. They are blind because they choose to be blind if they have not heard the gospel. It is yours and my fault. And that's scripture. First Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes to the church. To the church at Corinth. To the believers in Corinth. Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Some have not the knowledge of God. It's my fault. Now, folks, I ain't saying it's about all the people in India don't have the gospel of God. But those that are directly around me, my neighbors, my friends, people that I've grown up with, my family, people that I work with, if they have not the knowledge of God, it is to my shame that they don't have that. The Bible also says, Paul also wrote that if the gospel be hid, it's hid to them that's lost. It ain't hid to me. I've received the gospel. If you're born again, it ain't hid to you. You've received salvation. You've received the good news. If it's hid, it is hid to no one other than the lost. And that is not justice. That is not mercy. And that is not walking with God. God commands us, Jesus commands us, go ye in all four corners of the earth and preach the gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. 
We're to give it to everybody that we can. Everybody we can come in contact with. And I know that some people are easier to present to than others. I know that for a fact. You know who the hardest people to tell about Jesus is? Your family. You know why? Because they've seen how you act. They've seen how I act. They've seen what I do when I get hurt. They've seen what I do when I get upset. They've heard me get angry. I ain't saying that I go off cussing a blue streak or anything like that. But folks, the world, the lost world, they will be the first one to tell you how a Christian should live. They will be the first one to tell you how you should act. They will be the first one to tell you you should have more patience than that. Ain't that what your Bible teaches? People have never even read the Bible until tell some Christians more about the Bible than what they know. Shame on us. Shame on us believers for that. Folks, three small requirements of God. Mine said that is not to be saved. The only requirement to be saved is Jesus Christ. I get so sick of people saying, well, you know, how are you doing? Well, you know, just another day and working my way home. That'd be rent. You can't work your way home. You can't work your way to heaven. That work's done and already been done. That work's been accomplished through Jesus Christ. We can do nothing to get home. But once we're on our way, we should do justice. We should do justly. We should love mercy and practice mercy. Not only to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to everyone we come in contact with. And we should walk humbly with thy God. With my God. I should walk humbly with my God. And folks, if you're anything like me, they've been telling pride's gotten in the way. And God will humble you down. God will humble you right back down. Don't don't rebuke God for that. Praise God for it. That just shows you what He is. Yeah. That just shows that you belong to Him. But He's the one that brings that rod of chastisement down on you. And you read just a little bit further. In fact, in the next verse in Micah, you read the phrase, Hear you the rod. And who hath appointed it in Micah 6, uh, verse 9? Hey, God wanted those Israelites. He wanted His people to know who was bringing that rod. It wasn't from another country. It wasn't from an Assyrian army or a Babylonian army. God says, I'm bringing that rod myself. And he will do it to his own to this very day. Do justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with that God. 